Välkommen till Freuds Toolbox, skolans inspirationspodd med fokus på känslor, relationer, lärande och ledarskap. Tillsammans med Kenneth Freud får du inspireras av och lära av nationellt och internationellt ledande experter på evidensbaserat lärande och ledarskap. Okay, hi everyone, teachers, school leaders in Sweden and other people that will view this. Uh, today we will talk about uh, learning in general, but also specifically about formative assessment. And uh, our guest today is the world leader in the area of formative assessment, according to my view and my colleagues' views. Uh, and I think most of other people would agree. And I think... Uh, more or less every teacher in Sweden has read at least one or a few of his books. And it's a great honor and privilege for me to say welcome to Professor Dylan William. Hello. Hello. And uh, four of your books, I have a few of them <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, four of them are translated into Swedish as well. And... When I looked looked back through the books I have been reading, it's like following sort of a, in my experience, like a development process or a school development process or something. In the beginning, in my experience, it's a lot about what is formative assessment, why formative assessment, and show how effective it is and how cost effective it is also, and some key principles. And then... Uh, in my my view it came into like implementation support for school leaders uh, of course and that's very natural if the teacher know what to do but don't have any support for school leaders and you don't have it implemented not so much will happen but then we came to this book that mm -hmm. you also have in swedish uh, that uh, i found very, very interesting. For me, that was uh, like a, a new dimension. Uh, in that book, uh, it's so many perspectives on uh, on learning and teaching and what what should we do with our schools. It's like so multifaceted. So I, I really enjoyed reading that. Uh, but I will come to a question, uh, not to talk, just to, to have me <laughs> speaking. Uh, but if we go back to, to formative assessment, I guess uh, this area also evolved over time. Uh, if you think b based on your experience, I guess in, in most countries in Sweden, we have more and more diversity in our classrooms. Uh, teachers experience more and more challenges. Uh, what are the best way, sort of best practice of today's formative assessment? And, and maybe if you speculate what... Uh, with it will it evolve in the future as well but today's best practice what how would you describe that well i think the first thing i would say is that i don't think my perspective on formative assessment has changed very much i think what i think of as a good classroom where the teacher is using formative assessment where the students are active in their own learning 
that view hasn't changed. I started teaching 45 years ago and the school I, I taught at, uh, between them, the students spoke, I think, over 50 languages. Well, So my, all my teaching experience has been in very diverse urban schools. Yeah. And it became, became quickly clear to me in my own teaching that you couldn't just treat all the students the same. You had to kind of recognize that different students had different strengths and weaknesses. They needed different kinds of support. So I think that idea of making teaching responsive to individual students' needs has been at the core of my own teaching since I started as a teacher 45 years ago. But I think what has changed for me is, first of all, the evidence that this actually is the most cost-effective way to improve yeah. learning for young people. And secondly, an understanding of the processes that you need to go through to, to change practice. So I think that we don't we don't see any difference in the kinds of classrooms we want. I think we are much smarter now about what you need to do to get those kinds of classrooms. Yeah. One thing I thought about, you have like, it's like five key principles uh, for formative assessment, but you yes. and almost every other expert also talks about the importance of building relations and building trust, get to know your students. Yes. Uh, but uh, not so many people talk about how do you do it. You talk about what you, you should do it, but uh, you can do it on talent. But uh, do you have any sort of advice to teachers? How, how, what should you do to, how can you build trust and build uh, good relations? It's quite interesting that there's some research by a scholar named David Yeager, a former colleague of Carol Dweck's, that shows exactly how you can actually build trust. And it's really simple. So in one experiment, some students wrote an essay about a personal hero. They then handed them into the teacher. The teacher wrote comments on the students' essays. But before they were given back to the students, researchers added a post-it note to the students' work. Half the students got a post-it note that said, I'm giving you these comments so you have feedback on your paper. Half the students were given a comment that said, I've made critical comments on your paper because I have very high standards and I know you can reach them. Yeah. The students were then invited to resubmit the essay if they wanted to a week later for additional credit. For the African-American students, the ones who are initially low in trust in school, about 25% of the students who had got the neutral post-it note, chose to resubmit. Over 70% of the students who got the more positive post-it note chose to resubmit. So just a post-it note telling students, mm -hmm. I am giving you this feedback because I have very high standards and I know you can reach them. That could actually increase students' trust in school. And in mm -hmm. fact, the students who had the more positive post-it note, they then surveyed the amount of trust in school a year later. And that one post-it note meant that those students were more trusting in the whole of their secondary school six months later. Oh, such great impact. So it's just getting the students to understand, I'm giving you feedback because I care about you. Yeah. Students who are serious athletes understand that good coaches give feedback in order to improve performance. Many of our students don't see feedback from the mathematics teacher or the Swedish teacher or the philosophy teacher as being the same sort of thing. 
So we just got to get students to understand that when I give you feedback, it's because I care about you getting better. And it okay. turns out from the research evidence we've got now to be quite simple. Just tell the students why you're giving them feedback. Yeah, so tell why. It's interesting. Uh, a week ago, I interviewed uh, a Swedish national coach in football, a former coach. He has been coaching Sweden, Iceland, Norway, and Nigeria. And he says uh, his takeaway of leadership, he said it could be in the classroom, it could be his national team, it could be an organization, was uh, always tell tell the people you work with why you're doing it. Uh, yeah. So it's, he's saying the same thing as you, but in another uh, sort of yeah. context. Uh, this feedback yeah. is not to judge you, it's no. to help you improve. Yeah. I mean, you could take it further. There's an English teacher in, in England named David Didow who actually says that marking, giving feedback, is an act of love. And I think that's a very good description of why we give feedback. We give mm. feedback because we care passionately about helping our young people improve, but they don't often understand that at the beginning. No. Coming to that, so I think this, this is really, really important. Uh, <clears throat> I work today at uh, grade seven to nine in a Swedish school and also with the younger, but th these are my responsibility. And in these grades in Sweden, our students, they feel more and more like uh, performance pressure. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they are stressed and it affects yeah. uh, how they feel, how their well-being and so on. Right, but, but the point is that stress can be productive if yeah. the students think that they can actually meet the demands that are made on them. Yeah. So if you are a serious football player, Yeah. And you've got a big knockout cup match coming up. Yeah. You'll feel stressed. Yeah. But you hopefully also see the job of your coach as making sure that you're ready to yeah. deal with that stress. Yeah. So it's 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 the grading of uh, students' work that I think causes the damage here. Yeah. If, if students understood that we are trying to improve them rather than evaluate them, yeah. they they think. They would they would actually be much more positive. You know, yeah. the football coach has an advantage. Yeah, he doesn't grade the students. It's the opposition that decides whether <laughs> yeah, they win or lose. That's true. That's true. Not the coach. Yeah. Yet too often we see the teacher as the enemy. If yeah. we could actually get the students to see that the teacher is the ally, is yeah. your friend to help you against the external standards, it's yeah. not me that's giving you a C. It's the fact that there's a standard that you didn't yet reach. Yeah. And just like the high jump athlete did not clear the bar at two meters. That's not an opinion. The bar <laughs> no, came true. down. Yeah. The bar is there. Do you think it could be connected in schools, uh, like a, a balance of proportions between summative assessment and formative assessment? I think that we have too much summative assessment. So yeah. I think in primary school, um, I think maybe once a year, but even then I think that's probably not necessary. I think as they get into secondary school, maybe once a semester, and certainly in upper secondary school, 16 to 19, maybe yeah. more frequently, just so that students know whether they're gonna make enough progress to get the grades they want for admission to the university of their choice. Yeah. But I think certainly below the age of Uh, 14, I think once a year is enough to be telling students where they are 
most of the feedback should be about not how good you are, but how to get better. Yeah, that sounds wise. And then, I mean, you have a, a limited time with the students. Then you and yeah. and the teacher also limited time in his work. I'm just reflecting now that if you reduce uh, the things you have to do after lessons, you can focus more on planning, sort of proactive planning yeah. of lessons. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing that I think yeah. is quite important yeah. is that um, this is another thing I learned from a, a business uh, leader. No surprises. When I was a when I ran a university, my aim was to have all my decisions completely unsurprising. I would I would lay out my principles so clearly that when an issue came up, people knew what I was going to decide because. I'd given them very clear indications of my beliefs, my attitudes, and so on. Yeah. And I think that's a, an idea we can actually use in school. Yeah, you can translate so often, it into the classroom. Yeah. A, he gave me a C. Yeah. And that's a student who doesn't understand why they got a C. Yeah. I got a C because my work wasn't good enough for a B. Yeah. It's a completely different uh, take on that same event. So I think making sure that students understand why they got the grade they got when we do give them grades yeah. actually um, could actually help the teacher be the, the student's friend rather than the student's enemy. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I was thinking if you would give advice to myself and my colleagues as school leaders, what, what is the best that we can do to develop our schools? What, what should we focus at? Well, I think the first thing, the most uncomfortable thing for leaders is that you will not be successful through your own efforts. You will be successful to the extent that other people in your building do better. Yeah. So your job is to support them. This is what Robert Greenleaf calls servant leadership. Uh, yeah. I learned that very clearly as being a university administrator. The university that I, for a, for, for a while, led was successful, not because of what I did, but because of the research and the teaching done by other people. And yeah. my job was to help them do a better job of teaching and researching. Yeah. And so I would say to them, what do you plan to achieve over the next year? How will I know you've been successful? And how can I help? Yeah. And that conversation, I think, was much, was much more productive than trying to evaluate people on criteria they had not chosen. So I think my main advice is for all but the youngest teachers, ask them what they would like to get better at. Yeah. Ask them what evidence they're going to bring to the next conversation in six months' time and ask them what support they need to achieve their goals. That, I think, would be the, the best way of improving a school. Yeah, but if, let's say, you do that and uh, you have, like... Uh... 30 teachers at your school and they choose totally different approaches and directions. Uh, it could be really beneficial, but it also could be that students experience uh, 30 different approaches if they meet the same. But they do anyway. Yeah. They do anyway. Yeah. You know, one of the depressing things about secondary schools is yeah. students expect a different set of rules for every teacher. Yeah. So I, I think that we don't have much coherence right now. I think 
to to respond to your point, what I would do, I think I would constrain the menu. So for me, uh, the things that teachers choose to get better at must be taken from the menu of formative assessment, because that's what the research shows has the greatest impact for the least amount of time. But which aspects of formative assessment they develop they can choose themselves. It's up to them. Yeah. And people say, well, how do we know they'll do the right thing? You don't. Mm-hmm. But I have a hunch that they'll make better choices for themselves than you can make for them because yeah. you don't know their subject and their students and their context as well as they do. So, yes, it is a bit risky. It's a bit scary. But I think it's undoubtedly the right approach to take. Yeah. Then we have advice for the school leaders and for the teachers. Uh, the kids then, do you have an advice for our students? What can they do? Well, yes. I mean, let me expand on the on the teacher's role, which I haven't said yeah. much about so far. So I think the important point, the teacher needs to get to the, over to the students, and this is related to the feedback conversation we just had. My job as a teacher is to help you learn. My job is not to teach the curriculum my job is to help you learn. So I'm going to focus not on what I'm putting into the process, but what you're getting out of it. And I need your help. I need you to, t- I need you to tell me honestly what you understand and what you don't understand in order to be able to help you. You know, Copying somebody else's work and passing it off as your own is a bit like having somebody else take a blood test for you. <laughs> yeah, true. You, know, you might get the result you want, but it's not going to help you. And so getting students to understand, I can only help you if I find out what's going on and for them to be honest and for them to actually own the process. I have the right for my needs to be taken into account. And so I would say to the teachers, you need to find that out. And the students, you need to level with me. I can only help you if I find out what you find difficult and what you find easy. And then we'll work together. It's it's exactly like the coaching relationship in athletics or yes, football. Yeah, it's like yeah. we have to get this. We just we just have to tell the students the same thing. And you know, it's really interesting to me. Every twelve-year-old I've ever met has a growth mindset for car driving. Yeah, you ask a twelve-year-old in the city, "Can you drive a car?" It has to be the city because in the country they probably already can. But in the city. Can you drive a car? They say no. Will you be able to learn to drive a car if you want to when you're old, when you're older? Yeah. Every 12-year-old I've ever met says yes. We have to get them to understand the same thing is true for mathematics. Yeah. However good you are at mathematics now, there is no limit to what you can achieve if you want to. No. The idea is that, you know, as Jeffrey Howard said many years ago, smart is not something you just are. Smart is something you can get. Yeah. The idea is that by working hard, you improve your intelligence, your ability, and just getting students to understand that. And that then unlocks feedback. You see, if students have a fixed view of ability, feedback is potentially unwelcome. It might yeah. show you you're not as smart as you thought you were. But if you see ability as incremental, what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset, yeah. then feedback is always welcome because you know you can get smarter and the feedback will help you get smarter more quickly. So all these things, I think, line up pretty neatly if we actually consider what we're doing as teachers of mathematics or Swedish or philosophy. If we think about that in the same way that the football coach thinks about their task with the athletes that they have. Yeah, true. Then we have actually one group left. 
that haven't received any advice yet? That is uh, the parents. What can they do yep. to support their kids? Well, I would start by having focus groups with teachers and parents. So teachers would actually invite parents in, maybe two teachers and say six parents, and ask them, what information do you need to support the school's work? And in particular, I'd ask them, what would you like to know about your child? And when would you like to know it? Yeah. So often we write reports at the end of a semester when it's too late. Yeah. So I would be asking parents, what information will help you support the work of the school and get the parents on board and then give them information, not in terms of grades, because grades are useless to parents. Yeah. I mean, they may be reassuring if it's a high grade and disappointing if they're low, but it doesn't tell the parent how to help the child get better. But information about the kinds of things the child needs to practice, they need to work on, that can start that three-way conversation between the teacher, the parent, and the student. And I think that's the important role. But I would start by asking the parents, what would you like to know, and when would you like to know it? Yeah. It's a quite similar approach to with the teachers, actually, but it's the teacher that's doing it, and the principal with the teachers. Yeah, yeah, true. That's very interesting. Then we have, like, a concept for, for school development, right yeah yeah and the point is we know it works yeah. so a couple of years ago a randomized control trial was published where they took 140 high schools half of them were given cash half of them were given resources to help teachers develop their practice of formative assessment and they were given minimal support for the next two years yeah. i think the cost of the intervention was something like in swedish terms about 15 crowns per student per year, That's not like much nothing. at all, yeah. like nothing. Yeah. And the students in the schools where the teachers have been doing formative assessment made 25% more progress over the last two years of compulsory schooling in England. Yeah. Just giving teachers 75 minutes once a month to meet with their colleagues, to plan how they're going to make their teaching more responsive to the students' needs just 1% of teachers' time changed, yeah. used in a different way, produced a 25% increase in student achievement. We don't yeah. know of anything else that comes that close. No, that's surely a great impact. Mm. Yes. I want to ask yeah, one more question, like a last question. Do you have any more? Now you have like a concept for school development. Is there anything more you should you want the viewers to know and to reflect about uh, when they look at it? It could be a teacher, school leader, any viewer. I think the most important insight that we've gained over the last 20 years is the nature of teacher expertise. So when we look at teachers, we see that some teachers are better than others. And so they are clearly able to do things that other teachers aren't able to do. And we tend to think of that as knowledge. And we can call that knowledge if you like. But what I've discovered is the knowledge of expert teachers is more like the knowledge of how to ride a bicycle than to solve an equation. I can explain to somebody how to solve an equation. I can teach it. I cannot explain to somebody how to ride a bicycle. And I think this explains why it is that well-meaning advice given to teachers is usually completely ineffective. 
because it's like trying to explain to somebody how to ride a bicycle. Yeah. It doesn't work because it's not that kind of knowledge. It's implicit or tacit knowledge, as some people call it. And so that's an important insight. And related to that is this idea that for novice teachers, they do need some information telling teachers you're not waiting long enough at the end of a question. You're only giving students a second to react to the yeah. question. Because in the beginnings, you need like a manual to get started with this. You need a manual. Yeah. But the problem is teachers still make the same mistake after 10 years in, in teaching. Yeah. That's... And then it's not a knowledge problem anymore. No. It's a habit change problem. Yeah. Reminding teachers of the research on the importance of waste, waiting time at the end of a question, telling them that, showing them the research has no impact on practice because it's not a knowledge problem. It's a habit change problem. Yeah. Okay. And the crucial insight here, I think, is that every teacher has habits that get them through the day. Yeah, that's it's true. It's your most important asset, yeah. but it's also your greatest liability. Yeah, And the problem is we yeah. need teachers to be changing their teaching while they're still teaching. Yeah. That's Tiger Woods won the US Masters by a record 12 strokes and then decided his swing needed to be changed. So he yeah. withdrew from competition for six months. No teacher is going to get six months to practice this stuff in front <laughs> no, of a mirror. They have to change the teaching while they're still teaching. What well, one teacher said, it, it's a bit like in-flight engine repair. <laughs> it's hard to do well. Yeah. But understanding that we need to give teachers support in changing habits, yeah. that it's really hard to change quickly. You actually need to change them slowly over time, allowing teachers to take small steps. I think that is why we failed in the past. We've pushed too fast. Yeah. We've actually told teachers this year we're doing differentiation and next year we're doing cognitive science and the year after that we're doing something else and nothing ever gets to stick. I've lost track of the number of times yeah. I've described a technique of formative assessment to a group of teachers and somebody says to me, oh yeah, I used to do that. It was good. Yeah. And then came. I used to do that. It was yeah. good, but something else came along, and I don't do it anymore. Yeah. We have to give give teachers time yeah. to actually make these things into habits. So my nephew is a is a drummer. He's a session drummer um, and a drum teacher, and he points out that the mistake that people often make when they're practicing is they practice until they get it right. Yeah, and he says that's not the best way to practice. The best way to practice is to practice until you can't get it wrong. True. And that's the important insight. Yeah. Moving from, oh, yeah, I can do that to I can't not do that. <laughs> yeah, that is wise words. And it's uh, it's a challenge to, to make it happen, but really important challenge to, to take on. Yes. I think that actually is really good closing words. I think this is uh, an amazing, really good, good talk, good conversation to listen to for for all the principals in Sweden and for all the viewers, teachers, pedagogues, and everyone. So I say thank you so much for having the opportunity to have you uh, talking to you. Thank you. It's been thank fun. You.